Sci-Fi, The Final Frontier. These are the voyages of the podcast cross-sections, their mission to explore new topics and create new content, and boldly go where no boys have gone before. Welcome back to Sci-Fi Cross-Sections, a weekly podcast dedicated to everything science fiction. It's me, your sci-fi boy, Colin Brandon, and with me tonight is... Mark Butker. Jason. I am Ben Young. I'm Bill Jarvis. And tonight, we are talking about the brand new Amazon Prime original film, The Vast of Night. But before we get into that, let me throw it over to Ben for some young sci-fi news. Alrighty. So, uh, do you guys want the good news or the bad news? Uh, fuck, just lay it on me, buddy. Bad news. Uh, bad news bad first. Bad news first. Right, bad yeah. news first. All right. Johan Renk, the Emmy-winning director behind Chernobyl, is joining up with HBO and Craig Mazin once again to direct the pilot of the series adaptation for The Last of Us. Uh, Neil Druckmann and Mazin are set to pen and produce the Naughty Dog game a- Games adaptation, which will follow Joel and Ellie through their adventure across the first game and no doubtedly water the whole thing down. No production or release dates as of yet. I don't like that one bit. I'm sorry. So the production team involved there, um, were any of them involved with the game? Uh, Neil Druckmann, yes. Well, then cool your jets. We'll be all right. No. I, I'm a firm believer that there is a fantastic TV adaptation of The Last of Us. It's called The Last of Us, and in this TV adaptation, so this is really cool, okay? So in this TV adaptation, they made it so you could actually interact with it, okay? So they have this controller, and you pick it up, and like you're like, I'm going to play for 42 minutes, you know, a standard episode. And you play through it, it's about the, the length of what they call a level and you get to the end and you could go i have had enough and save it and as you go you learn more about the character so there's like still character development of course um but you just are placed in the shoes of joel so that by the end of it uh you know there's a much farther impact instead of taking a whole audience away from the experience and making them sit and watch it and removing themselves from the emotional choice that is the ending so you know is that is that like Bandersnatch? Yes, it's exactly like Bandersnatch, but not at all because it's good. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm gonna reserve judgment on this because I feel like passing judgment on something before it happens is well. Sounds like something Ben Young would do. Yeah, yeah it's very much a Ben thing to do. Um, I'm gonna wait. Well, I mean, we'll historically, it hasn't really worked out thus far. I mean, how many good video game adaptations can exactly. you really point to? Zero. Um, I don't know. I I just feel like it, the medium doesn't really lend itself well to that uh, type of adaptation, at least uh, historically. Uh, so Assassin's Creed was actually a decent movie. Now, and here's the thing. So, like, and I think Assassin's Creed might have done this. If they wanted to make a, a show called The Last of Us set somewhere else about different characters just kind of in that universe, I'd be... That's what I'd did. be all about it. That's why I'm really about the the Uncharted movie because the Uncharted movie isn't adapting the games; it's taking 
a spot in um, in Nathan Drake's past when he was a young adult, and it's going to tell a story about that because there's still a lot of unmined territory in that story, and there's a lot that you could be able to tell. So that I'm cool with. If they were to be like, we're making a Mass Effect movie, I'd be like, boo. And they're like, it's about the first contact war. I'd be like, yeah, because it's like it's unmined territory. But I know I have lots of people. Yeah, who I mean, I completely me. agree. No, that's a very valid point, Spin. Thank you. I, thanks, I'm full of them. So now that you've just brought us down to this level with the bad news, what can you give us that's good? Paul W.S. Anderson's polarizing sci-fi cult classic, Event Horizon, will be getting a Blu-ray release from Scream Factory that they're aiming to release by September 29th. Yes! In addition... So we're going to cover... Already pre-ordered In addition... To a full new 4K scan of the film, Scream Factory has revealed that they are currently working on tracking down leads to include the mythicized 45 minutes of lost footage from the original cut. Quote, New extras are in progress and will be announced on a later date, they say. We can confirm today that we are doing a new 4K scan of the film. As for any much inquired about additional footage, we are looking into it as best we can. So we know that there is a lead out there, so I hope that they're following that lead, as Paul W.S. Anderson has reminded everyone that he believes someone has a copy of it, and he's he's named the guy, but he doesn't know. So, we'll see. Maybe? That's exciting. That's fucking exciting. Maybe we, we might. If, if we get that, Ben, can we do an episode on it? Yes, I would love to see a good version of Event Horizon. <laughs> it's... It's just an extended half an hour blood orgy, and that's it. It's been mythicized for the last 25 get, years, and that's literally all we also it is. Get, we also get five more fucking minutes of just Lawrence Fishburne in his swivel chair. Just checking, <laughs> checking shit out. Checking readouts. Just uh, codpiece cod close-up shots. Oh, yeah. all, all of it. All the good shit. Sam Neill's... Left on the cutting room floor. Sam Neill's eyeless uh, face gets involved on the on the blood orgy. That better be the cover of the... Uh, uh, they Blu-ray. did release the cover of the Blu-ray, and he's on it from what I remember. Uh, I, I could, I'll, I'll post a, I'll post the link to it on our page. Yeah, okay. it looked pretty cool. I actually did see the cover. Wait, did you actually pre-order it, Jason? No, no, but I mean, I'm definitely going to buy it. Yeah, it's, it's, him, it's him floating on it with, uh, with the pods around him. And then uh, he's got the the gate up above him. It's it's really neat. Okay. I'm I'm sharing and... it to the page right now. And pre-ordered. Oh my god, who's what, who's... what is that? <laughs> pre-ordered. Oh. <laughs> oh, actually, I really like that. You find it? I'm post. It's, it's yeah. It's it's more it's it's more artistic than uh, the last one. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, it looks like they're they're going for we it. We say. We say pre-order it, but I'm pretty sure uh, Paul W.S. Anderson's in the parking lot of my uh, apartment complex right now just selling it out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. Please help help me give my wife more work. <laughs> it's, better than, it's better than at the flea market he's usually at. I can't wait till we cover Monster Hunter. Are we? We're not covering that, are Hell we? Hell yeah, man. They made, they made it sci-fi. <laughs> All right. All right. Uh, well, that does it for the news. For all the latest and greatest sci-fi news, follow us on Facebook.com slash Sci-Fi Cross-Sections and on Twitter at SF Cross-Sections. Back to you, Overlord. 
All right, thank you, Ben. So, as I said, we are here to cover The Vast of Night. This is another one of those films that we've done this year that uh, was independently created, filmed, produced, whatever, and got distributed like a year later. <laughs> um, it actually, so, <laughs> fun fact about this, uh, before I get into it, this movie fucking could not get on a festival to save its life. It got passed like by 20 festivals and ended up on something called Slam Dance Film Festival. I've never heard of that before, but I'm sure it's a thing. Yeah, it is. It actually started back it started back in the 90s. Yeah, it's a big one. It got passed on a lot of festivals before it ended up here. And then what? It gets picked up by Amazon and now it's getting amazing reviews on Rotten Tomatoes. Um, that's my go-to for reviews. Sorry. It's all right. And... Uh, no, so, I mean, at first you don't succeed. Fucking try and try and try and try and try and try and try until something picks you yeah. up. But, um, <clears throat> anyways, The Vast of Night was written, produced, directed by Andrew Patterson. However, he wrote it under a pseudonym, James Montague. Not sure why he did that. That sounds really familiar. Um, well, no, he hasn't done anything else as James Montague. Shakespeare, right? Yeah, he knows. Uh, okay. He is a... Is this the same dude? So there's a guy named James Montague. He's named James Piotr Montague. He's a British writer and studied politics at Exeter. No. But maybe that's nope. who he's naming himself after. No. So Andrew uh, Patterson basically has his own production company, and he's been filming TV spots and commercials for like Oklahoma City Thunder whatever basketball team sorry sports fans um Oklahoma City Thunder that's it okay uh yeah he's been just doing that his whole career and this is his first feature-length film first actual independent project which he funded entirely by himself seven hundred thousand dollars damn good man yeah um Aside from that, I don't have, um, obviously, a box office for you. This actually did have a run in drive through theaters, because um, Amazon released it in May in drive That is cool as fuck. Like, you mean, like, drive-in theaters? Yeah, sorry. Drive-in theaters. That's It did have a, a drive-in theater release. That's so fucking cool. The, Man, I would kill to see this movie in drive-ins. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's, that's kind of perfect for it. Really. Yeah, absolutely. Um... Aside from that, you could also watch it on Amazon Prime because they did pick it up, so it is considered an Amazon original, I guess. I don't know. It's usually when that happens, it's because they so like um, so like our boy Patterson funded it all himself, but then he yeah. he sold it to Amazon at Slam Dance. Most likely, they probably saw it at Slam Dance. They're like, "Hey, we love it. We want to buy it. And then we're going to distribute it." And he goes, "Yes, take it. Please give me my money back." I'm poor. <laughs> I have the NBA no. It's not, not doing anything right it's now. It's not. It's <laughs> not. I'm poor. It's I. I owe a lot of people money. Please. <laughs> yeah. Also poor though. Um, probably spent more money of his own than he should have. Anyways, um, yeah, the cast real small. I'm just gonna name the main two. Really, it's uh, Sierra McCormick as Faye Crocker, the quirky, um, nerdy 
Switchboard operator. What do you call it? Switchboard operator. operator thank you. And then uh, Jake Horowitz plays Everett, which I loved his character. I thought he was really funny. Yeah. Um, aside from, I'm not going to name anyone else because no one else had a really big role in the movie. So, Anyways, that's all I have for you. Uh, ben, what the fuck is this movie about? In the 1950s, a switchboard operator and radio DJ in small-town New Mexico pick up a mysterious signal on the night of the high school's first basketball game of the season. When they investigate, they discover a vast conspiracy involving the military, abductions, and mysterious visitors in the night sky! How was that? Was that good? That was, that was, yeah, great. That was, that was yeah, pretty that was good. good. Very accurate. That was pretty yeah. good. Thank you for that. That's cool. That was, uh... Very period appropriate, I would say. Thanks. Yeah. Cool. That was, that was what happened. So, um, I'm just going to get this out of the way. Um, I don't use this term often. But, uh, wowie kablowie. Very seriously, what a fucking movie. Right? Am I the only one who walked away from that? With that reaction? Did you just follow up wowie kablowie with what a fucking movie? Yes. <laughs> <laughs> is that a problem I, no there's no fucking problem man i thought it was i thought it was great i i actually got up and walked around the house silently for a little for a little bit after watching it just like exhaling so this is definitely one of the very audibly this is definitely one of those movies that i think like you should go in kind of as fresh as possible or it's not it's not like it's like a twist or anything like, the plot is what it is, and you're going to see it coming from a mile away, but the style of the film is is just such a fucking treat throughout the whole thing that, like, we're going to talk a lot about it, and really, you should just kind of enjoy it yourself, because I was caught off guard incredibly, and I loved every second of it. So, like, really, really, it's only an hour and a half. Like, it's the best length of any film. Go watch this movie. We say it all the time, but go watch this movie, and then come back and geek out with us. Oh, you're back. All right, good. Um, no, honestly, I had no idea what to expect with this film. Um, I think we changed, we altered the schedule like two weeks ago to accommodate for yeah. it. Uh, and then at that moment, Jason was saying that like it was something that was on his radar that he was excited about or had read about. Yeah, well, it's been picking up a ton of media buzz. Like you said, It's the reviews it's getting are just kind of off the hook. And I was like... Well, we we gotta cover it. Like it it wasn't anywhere near my radar for all of the well, months leading up to its release, and then it released, and everyone's like, "Holy shit!" Well, well, then I read like the premise for it, and it was like, you know, what was it? Two kids in like a small town are trying to figure out, you know, whatever a radio frequency that's like really fucking weird and stuff. I was like, oh. Okay, Spielberg, <laughs> you're all over this one. Oh, all right, JJ, JJ Abrams, this one's got your name tag. Oh, on all it, right, Stranger nope, Things. Nope, nope, this is its own caliber, separate from those guys. I mean, there's definitely a lot of moments where it's an homage, I would say, to like Close Encounter and stuff like that. One hundred percent. Especially, especially that that ending there. Holy shit! But uh, 
No, I loved it. I thought it was unique. It was a very unique take. So I wasn't sure when this is going to come up, and I don't have, like, a lot to say about it. Like, I'm sure I have a lot to respond about it from what everyone else is going to say. But one of my big things I wanted to talk about, if everyone's cool with it, is you, because you mentioned homage, which it is. It's a, it opens up and it immediately tells you this film is a love letter to sci-fi of old. It tells you that by opening up on a TV and it, it zooms in on the TV as the Paradox Theater begins its, its special hour of television. And, uh... It, it lets you know immediately that this isn't, like, a story that's happening. This is just a story. This is just a movie. This is something that you should just enjoy and have fun with. And I could talk about the style all day long, but really throughout it picks up on, on old pieces of Twilight Zone material of, um, of uh, oh man, someone help me out. Um, what was the old sci-fi version of Twilight Zone? Outer, uh, limits. outer limits uh, the outer limits it, yeah it picks yeah. up on a lot of outer limits styles um and by the end of it so you throughout the film you have uh it's a story of outcasts right you have this switchboard operator nerdy girl uh fay right uh you have this dj uh, Everett, who is very charismatic, but he is still an outcast. Like he he goes to this basketball game to to work on the setup, and then he retreats away from everyone else to to broadcast to the world. And he does it because it's his job, but also you could tell he's more comfortable. Faye actually says to him at one Wait. point that why why do you change your voice like that when you're on the radio? It's because he's more confident on the radio. What were you gonna say? But well, that opening sequence sets up that he's like an integral part of this town like every single person there seems to rely upon him for one thing or another absolutely absolutely but he is they rely on him he's still he's not like a friend to all of them he's a friend to Faye, of course but to the rest of them he's a resource he's an outcast and that's what i think was they were kind of getting at is that there's no real connection between any of them all of his conversations with the people throughout the opening sequence um in this incredible one shot one take um are superfluous. They're superfluous conversations that he is not ha barely even participant in throughout them. Uh, like the one point where she, the old lady, is telling him about the rats chewing the chewing the cords, and he's barely even there for that conversation. Uh, you have Billy who calls in, who is a, uh, a black veteran um, who ta tells about how the the military got minorities to help clean up this alien mess uh because they knew no one would believe them you have uh mabel who is the uh who is an outcast to simply having a child out of wedlock and uh be losing her child to the aliens and people not believing her story so you have all of these outcasts and then at the end the end which i was uh against at first my knee-jerk reaction was like i don't like that ending and then i sat and thought about it for a little bit uh, when Faye and Everett and uh, Faye's little sister are taken in uh, the ship, uh, it seemed harsh at first for me. But then I realized that that wasn't what the film is getting at. It's not about just their, these, you know, it's not about the fate of these characters. It's just a movie. What I think, at least my interpretation of it, and you guys may or may not disagree, 
is that this, like I said at the beginning of my thesis, is a love letter to sci-fi. And it's these outcasts finding solace and acceptance in a genre about wonder. Notice that when they see the ship, they don't pick up a recording. They don't grab for a camera. They just stare at it in complete amazement at what they're seeing. And then they're taken by it. And that's the end. And the, the recording is left behind. It's not about uh, documenting it. It's about experiencing it. And I, I, I think that's just my interpretation of it at the end of the day. What do you guys think? Yeah, I mean, I, I like that, Ben. Um, I will say, uh, I mean, a lot of the stuff you just kind of touched on, because I can definitely tell you liked it. So that that was, you know, great. Um I enjoyed it. I don't think I'm as over the moon about it as you are necessarily. Um, not that I didn't think it was a, a solid film. I think I would echo a lot of what you said in terms of this being very, very stylistic. And, and from a technical standpoint, I mean, they do a lot of really cool things. Like uh, I think you said a lot of cool like one shots and like tracking shots and like just a lot of cool visual stuff that I think really sets it apart. Um, and that kind of uh, if you're into the 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 technical aspect of filmmaking, I thought the film, and this is kind of my key, I think, thing for this or thing with this film, is what they were able to accomplish with the money they spent. I, I thought for the type of film that they were trying to create, you couldn't do a better job with $700,000 than they did. Um, I just thought it was very atmospheric. It was very kind of moody, very dark. Um, I watched the uh, 4K UHD version an HDR and it was like, you know, an extremely dark movie, but I feel like that kind of sets the the scene for, for the story they're trying to tell. Um, I really liked the interpretation of the ending because I was kind of the same way. I think in the lead up to it, when you have, uh, you know, they're, they're in the car and then you have the, um, the like chanting or whatever playing. Um, and then, you know, they kind of like lose control of the car or whatever, and then they're running through the field. You know, I, I kind of knew that that was coming. Uh, again, as I think we said, it was telegraphed a mile away. You, you know that that's how the story's going to end. But I kind of like that interpretation of wonderment trumping the need to document because it seemed like as the characters kind of progressed and developed throughout the story, um, it's interesting because you see some, some shifts in the characters. You know that uh, our Everett character seems like he's really confident and you know kind of has it all uh, figured out basically in the beginning and then towards the middle and the end he starts to kind of lose his grip a little bit on that and I think he becomes more I'm gonna say like maybe shaken or a little bit kind of scared of this of what's going on because he I feel like grasps with the fact that he doesn't have all the answers whereas you see Faye's character kind of become a little bit more assertive and a little bit less kind of mousy, I guess, as maybe she was in the beginning uh, in certain aspects. So I kind of like that. And, and I definitely agree with you on the ending. Um, I think the only elements for me, and, and I think the film got stronger as it went in this regard, um, as you kind of got to know the characters. But um, I felt like that beginning with the, the long conversation, like I thought the technical aspect of that was really cool and very well done and, and very impressive but the dialogue uh the, the mile a minute kind of rapid fire thing was kind of an odd way to to i guess to bring those characters into it um again to 
y'all might disagree with me, Ben, you might completely disagree. That's cool. But that was just kind of my initial vibe where it was hard for me to get into the movie. Um, and I feel like maybe half hour in is when I finally was like, okay, what's going on here? But I thought, again, a lot of the scenes where they do those one takes or like the really long scenes, I think the scene where she's at the switchboard is like eight or nine minutes one, long. One shot. Um, just, yeah, just really cool and really, I, I think, technically like brilliant. So to see a filmmaker uh, take something like that on, I feel like this is definitely going to f- function as kind of a treatise on how this filmmaker creates. And I think this is going to kind of become something that is looked back at years from now, three, four films down the road as, oh, okay, well, those are a lot of the stylistic hallmarks that, you know, this filmmaker Patterson kind of uh, was hip to and wanted to develop. Yeah. I, I, I want to give other people a chance to talk, but I did want to counter with just saying that I get, I, I knew that that opening was going to turn off some people. For me, it hooked me. Um, not even because of the content. I don't know. I, I've always liked older movies as it is anyway, so like, I kind of like the whole like fast jab, mile a minute conversations happening, the, the old 50s style dialogue. I, I've always really liked it personally. But uh, for me, it hooked me because it was trying... I, I recognized it immediately as trying to be kind of a, a a veil for you. It was trying to hide the the story behind you. It was trying to hide the drop, the the other shoe dropping, which is the sound that Faye hears when she finally gets to the switchboard. So that I, I knew something was coming, and because of that, I just I I found myself invested very quickly. But I understand. I honestly, um, my first impression of this. Um, and honestly, throughout the whole film, is that I was surprised that this wasn't originally a stage play. Honestly, because <laughs> yeah. it really it really lends itself to that. Because it's a whole lot of uh, I'm gonna say talking heads. It's a whole lot of you know like a whole lot of just it's dialogue heavy. Where pretty much all the action within this is done through dialogue and telling the story rather than showing the story. So the whole thing is like almost to me. It could have been you could adapt this to a stage play. You could adapt this to a um, to a radio drama. I think it like this yeah. would be like a great. What I think would be cool would be a radio drama, which is the recording that he took during the movie. So just playing that recording and, you know, having the frame story of this footage or this uh, recording was found at a site that was thought to have a UFO or something like that, and then just playing that recording, which would be really cool, including the beginning sound with, like, including the beginning recording with, like, all the, um, you know, with the basketball game and everything like that. That would be, I mean, that would be a cool project to have. Um, But, yeah, no, no, I thought it was very, very enjoyable. Um, I thought it was cool. It's definitely experience, like you said. It's very stylistic. It's very much something that you just need to go along with the ride. Um, and that, uh, you know, I liked how they bake biscuits. So <laughs> it was good. And the other thing, it's definitely a love letter to, uh, Bill, you touched on it, is is radio as well. Uh, I think it would have been a, it would have been a wonderful radio play. In fact, there are parts of the movie that just go to black and you just mm-hmm. listen to Billy's story. And that was really cool. So, uh, no, yeah, and, and as someone who's always loved radio and, you know, people are like, I never turn on the radio, and I kind of cringe a little bit when they say that. Uh, it's It was really uh, a wonderful experience. I mean, for, for us, even as a podcast, we have to love that aspect of it as well, because, like, podcasts are today's radio. Right. 
Right. And especially, I mean, there's different styles. There's still like radio play kind of podcasts that go out there. And I think that's, that's super cool. It's very, um, it's very old style. There's definitely a certain aspect of that, like war of the worlds. Super, super cool. If you've never listened to war of the worlds, you should, it's kind of, uh, it's kind of cool to think about listening to this and then the entire, you know, the entire country being worried that there was actually an invasion happening. <laughs> I thought that was, it's a funny story and it, it's, it's kind of a piece of history yeah. to listen to. And yeah, it's definitely, you know, like it, just looking at it from that aspect of uh, kind of thinking of it as a radio drama with like a interview with the, with Mabel um, and, uh, and just the radio broadcast and stuff like that. I thought, you know, I thought to myself, I would like, this is, would make a really cool radio play. Yeah. Definitely. It's a very good homage. Very good homage. I like it. Yeah, um, actually, um, Mark, before I get your take on this movie, um, that just reminded me. Uh, so, apparently, uh, Patterson has been conceiving this idea for like 10 years. Um, and basically, all he wanted was 1950s black and white New Mexico UFO landing. That's the premise that he had in his mind, and he wanted to just do something with that. So, I think that's very broad he could have done a lot of things with that concept and uh, this was i think a very fun way i guess to do it very low budget speaking of budget they spent twenty thousand dollars just fucking replacing a a piece of the basketball court because there's a three-point line which wasn't included in the game yet oh geez so to be period accurate they had to get rid of the three-point line in that court which cost them twenty thousand dollars. What a fucking nut! So. <laughs> that's how you. Right. That's. I mean, that's how you. Do you think it would have been cheap, cheaper to do that CGI just to like get rid of it? No, or just like some tape or something. <laughs> Shit. That's how you know that this was independently produced because there isn't a single executive producer in the world that would agree to spending twenty thousand dollars on that. They'd fucking on a, on a three point line. They'd fucking laugh him out of the room. They'd be like, figure out another way you aren't spending $20,000 on that. So just tilt the camera up so we don't look at the <laughs> exactly. floor. Exactly. Or, like, or like maybe there's floor mats that day. I don't know if I can figure it out. <laughs> I think because he works for a basketball team, maybe there's a, a fear that he needed to be more authentic with it. I don't fucking know. Um, or maybe he's just right. the next auteur, and he is a dude who is going to make some serious waves in the film industry as it's gonna put together some really exciting shit yeah that's true all right mark you know i I don't really have much to say apart from what you guys already said i it uh i really love the aesthetic of everything and the teleplay feel of it all um the sharp contrast in the in the pacing of the movie really didn't bother me at all I actually thought it was to play into what you said, Ben. It was that's exactly how it made me feel, like it was almost his his personality that he projected when he was on the radio. So when he was walking into town, you know, uh, he was kind of living into that persona a bit. And then as soon as they got away from it, it was like their dynamic changed a lot. The two characters, I think he did a good job of setting up a lot of information without really <clears throat> making it feel like they're giving you any backstory, like, you know, handing you, feed, like, hand-feeding you the backstory or anything. Like, it just gave you a sense of the town and, 
in the time, what was going on in science and everything. It was really interesting. And then it just, you know, dove right into the two characters and in the main main story arc. And I, I loved how small the movie was in in every way. <clears throat> Between the, you know, the, the the story and the size of the cast kind of reflected like how small the town is and how everyone knows everyone and it was interesting. I liked it a lot. Yeah. I generally enjoyed like most of the movie. Um, there was very few part parts that actually like I guess elicited uh, like a physical response for me. One was when she was like doing that chant when they first get into the house. Uh, yeah. I was like, I was like, okay, that's fucking weird. All right, I get that. And the second time was when uh, they were in the car and he starts playing it. Oh my god! And they're like both, they both look up. I was like, oh man, oh that was that was tense. Oh boy. And the third time was when they were in the forest. And I was like, oh boy, are they about to get sucked up into a spaceship right now? And then just roll credits? Kind of did, but... <laughs> oh, I did want to mention, I thought it was interesting, at least on my end, I felt like when when they're on the radio and Billy's telling them his story and... I just keep expecting there to be some like government trap for them somewhere. Like those those two people when they initially got in the car and they're they're asking the details like what did she tell you? It almost seemed kind of leading and I was I was almost expecting it to be like I thought they were going to be aliens. You're not supposed to know this. I thought oh, they were really? going to be the aliens. Yeah, I was like, "Oh shit." But yeah, no, exactly. It was well, it was just weird like the the amount of the film that I spent waiting for something to happen where they got in trouble for knowing too much or something you know when that ended up not being a plot at all throughout the whole movie so when when the movie is released on blu-ray in 22 years and 45 minutes of the film that got cut ends up (laughs) turning up the blood orgy and and it turns out that that was yeah the blood orgy and then what mark said an entire section of this film that got cut out that would have made a lot more sense yeah no Uh, well, I think it's interesting that that I think well, it's, I think it's intentional that they make them so that you they make you distrusting of them, whether that you think they're spies or they're aliens, whatever you think they are, you, you're very distrusting of them, and then immediately that's torn away when Everett plays the uh, the recording. It's the same thing um, when Mabel tells them tells Everett she's like, "Take me with you." Uh, I was immediately suspecting of Everett at that point. I was like, wait a second. Would they send an alien down to pose among the people? And and then and the moment that's disproven, the moment that's that immediately is like, there's no way. I'm like, of course not. Like, that's stupid. And maybe there's something to be said there about, like, distrusting humans during chaos, during crisis, and realizing that, like, we're all kind of in this together, you know? Yeah, there's a a few things I I guess kind of came up as you guys were talking through all that stuff. So the two elements that I I did enjoy in the film and kind of the way they handled things. So the first would be that you find out a lot of the plot through this like anecdotal evidence, you know, through this, these conversations or like these monologues, like you have uh, Billy and his monologue kind of delving into the backstory of, you know, I guess his experiences with this 
this entity or these entities or whatever, and you're you're kind of getting that background. And then when uh, they go to the old woman's house, and you know she's she's telling a lot, but I feel like um, a lot of that really relies heavily on the performance and how strong the performance is of the actor in that role. And I thought that everyone really nailed their part, which helped kind of sell that that vibe. Um, so I really like the fact that the film, and I think it's it's one of those things where it's almost like. Uh, in a lot of ways, you know, it's a symptom of the limitations of what they're working with as far as resources go. So that kind of forces them to become more, um, I don't know, more creative or to t- kind of look at things in a different way in order to get their point across because they know they can't rely on the big effects budget to do it. And I thought that that was really refreshing to see. So I enjoyed that aspect of the film. And then the other thing that really kind of to me was was cool and harken back to a lot of the old sci-fi that we're talking about is I love the idea of the kind of extraterrestrials or aliens as truly kind of an alien force you know this very unknowable sort of group of entities I guess so like a lot of the science fiction that we watch and a lot of science fiction horror almost kind of turns aliens into you know like a caricature like a pastiche where it's like Oh, okay, yeah, they're down. They got their ray guns and and whatever, you know, or they're they're actively malevolent in a way where, you know, we're seeing we're seeing one on one conflict between the alien menace, as it were, and our characters. But what I thought was kind of cool, um, and it, it ties back, I guess, to my first point there, is that a lot of this it, it was done in a way to where. I think the perspective on the aliens was different. You know, you have like the old woman who has this kind of more malevolent view of what the aliens are doing uh, to society, I guess, uh, at large. But you don't really know. I mean, what are they doing? You know, are are they actively trying to, I guess, steer society in certain ways? Is it all an experiment? Are they just curious? You know, I just think it's it's interesting that, you know, you never even hear any real, like, language per se, except for, like, the chanting. It's it's mainly in the audio design and the hissing and the static. And as Ben said, it kind of plays through the whole idea of, you know, radio and sound as, a, um, I guess, like a, a means of communication. So I thought that was kind of cool. Um, and I like the very dark sort of... Um, the, the way they played with that, the way they played with the darkness, and uh, I think they said uh, a few times um, they're they're hiding up there, they're hiding in the clouds or something like that, you know, that type of verbiage, which I thought was really interesting. So that, coupled with the dark look of the movie just in general, always kind of had this sense of uh, mystery about it. So I thought that was that was refreshing, and, you know, maybe that was something that 50 years ago was commonplace in our science fiction, but you really don't see it that often anymore, which is why I think it was so effective to use that element as kind of a throwback. Yeah, and building even off of that, like I keep thinking about the final sequence when you when you finally see the UFO, and I don't know about the rest of you, but for me, it was a very powerful moment for them to turn and you see the lights and the darkness. I don't know what it was. I don't know if it was the buildup of the mystery, just the way that shot was staged, the the very, very good effects in it, which I'm sure is where a lot of the budget was, was in, just in the effects to set up that UFO. It was this moment of, like, 
my heart kind of skipped a beat and I felt like I was almost there with them in that, in that quick, quick minute of just, where is it? Where is it? Are they going to see it? And they finally, it's there in the darkness. And then they look up and you see this massive ship. It's just awe-inspiring. It, it was a beautiful sequence that suddenly I wasn't like terrified for them anymore. I was terrified for them in the forest. I was terrified for them as Everett was approaching the forest and then once you see it, I don't know, like, I wasn't scared anymore. I was just like, oh, I get it. Like, I get the whole thing. They're not, it's not about malevolence. It's not about, they're just here. And of course, they take them. But I don't think it's a bad thing that they do. I don't think there's any kind of implied death for these these people. I don't know. But I could be wrong on that one. That might just be my own perspective. I have a question for you guys. I was curious what you thought about when Billy initially called into the radio station. And when he's telling his story to them, they had a couple times where they would change view and they did the, I think they did the TV screen overlay again. Um, But they spent some time with just a black screen. How did you guys feel about that? I loved it. Like like we were saying earlier, right? harkens back to that radio play bill was talking about and uh i thought that was a fantastic stylistic choice because you could you could have done the same thing that they did with Faye during her switchboard scene which is just keep the camera on everett and have him listen and it would have been fine it would have but it would have been wouldn't it wouldn't have been the same as Faye's scene it wouldn't have been like wow this scene is still going it would have been like oh they're doing that same thing they did last time so how do you do that? Well, we can't show Billy. That makes sense. We're staying in this town. And for the most part, even though there are cuts, the camera is still kind of like singularly motivated throughout the entire uh, throughout the entire film. Every cut, if there is a cut, it makes sense that it's just cutting very shortly away. It's not going way far away for the most part. Uh, and so what's the well, last choice you have, which is to just kind of fade to back, black and using that to tell you don't worry about everett don't worry about Faye. focus on this man's words because the that's what's important right here well i'll go one further too in that scene so what i thought was interesting and this is kind of one of the few instances in the film where i i think it you know and obviously probably to a certain extent but also you know the the filmmakers when they were making the movie because I think it was actually filmed in like 2016 I read so like when they're filming the movie they couldn't have known what we're currently experiencing in 2020 the year to end all years but what I thought was kind of a a very topical uh, point in the movie was when uh, Billy is giving his account of this and you're just listening to this kind of like I guess riveting story of uh, you know this guy's experiences and all what's going on. And then he says, you know, well, no one would listen to me. And then he, you know, brings up the fact that he is in fact a black man. And I thought Everett's response was really interesting because I didn't think that when I'm listening to him, I'm just listening to this story because we're by and large kind of looking through this in a a 2020 lens where in a lot of ways for, I think, a lot of us, these types of things aren't really an issue anymore, even if they are for society at large. No one would argue that. 
but I think it was interesting. It kind of sucked me right back into the, the 1950s vibe when, uh, you know, Billy asks him, like, well, you won't get in trouble for this, will you? And he goes, no, I don't think so. And it was just kind of uh, just interesting to me that, you know, well, what is he talking about? Is he talking about his story or the fact that he has, you know, African-American gentlemen on his radio program? Um, I just thought that was kind of interesting and topical. I mean, you can draw tons of parallels to it, but that was definitely on purpose. And I thought the uh, the whole fade to black thing, um, to me, it, it was a great device to kind of frame that scene and to kind of bring you back into that whole era of radio. But I thought it was also kind of an interesting device to, you know, just listen to a person's words and, um, you know, remove all of the other things that society maybe judges a person for. If that makes any sense. Yeah, that's great. And like, you know, I don't know about you guys, but for me, whenever you see period pieces set in this timeline, you're immediately like, oh, all right, uh, let's look around here. And sure enough, I'm looking around the gymnasium and I'm like, white, 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 white. And I was like, man, well, I guess that's kind of the downside of doing a period piece, right? Yeah, absolutely. And Billy comes in who is such a subversive and masterful way of representing minorities in this time period not just black people but he mentions like we had mexicans with us we had in native americans with us he calls them indians at the time but um and the uh just that rep it's 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 small admittedly but it's powerful because it shows it's a it's a great way to show the place of of minorities in that time period not to mention like jason said it's very it's very timely for right now you know well why did why did why do you think they did that no one would listen to us it's no one would listen to a minority it feels like in 20 2020 sometimes that was still still kind of the same so yeah very timely for sure <clears throat> I feel like maybe that's the the beauty of sci-fi, I don't know, but I feel like every single thing we've done in the last you know, three, four months, we've pointed towards something that we can relate in our current political societal climate, you know. Um, so, Would you say that the future is now? The future is now, old man. <laughs> no. Um, maybe. Just just maybe. Um, unless anyone has anything else they want to add about the film. Yeah, I got, I will give I, you... I got one more. Oh. oh. Oh, boy. Well, one thing we didn't... I think the only thing we haven't talked about here tonight is uh, Mabel's story. Uh, specifically, um, what she says they're doing up here, up there, and what they're doing on Earth. So early on, when she starts talking about the aliens, she says that they like Earth. And that comes with kind of like an innocence to it. It's like, oh, okay, they like Earth. There's something about us that they enjoy. And then she begins to talk about the, uh, the absence of free will for as long as they're on this planet. Now, it's, there's something to be said that Mabel is not lying about what happened i think we can all agree on that i think her story is legit however is her interpretation of their presence there legit is the big question 
I think they left that ambiguous. I think um, they prefaced before she, she said, like, this is, you know, what I, the conclusion I've come to on my, like, living alone, just sitting here thinking. Like, that's what she came up with, which kind of, I think, is indicative that she's kind of off her rocker a little bit and she came to those conclusions on her own. But that's, I think that's not the truth. That's just what she thinks because this horrible event happened to her and then a lot of blame was placed on her, I guess you could say. Yeah. Her, her son goes missing and everyone kind of blamed her. So I guess she's just trying to, in her head, excuse it, come up with a reason why it happened. I don't know. Justify, yeah. And and I guess that, that just kind of, that probably then, because that's probably the only thing I've been wrestling with in, in my whole interpretation of this whole film so I guess that's just kind of whether she's right or not isn't the point. It's the fact that she's trying to jump to a justification for their existence when she doesn't understand it to begin with. She doesn't under she she doesn't even understand what she's saying when she's saying those words. She doesn't get it. She doesn't know what it is. But she's trying to make sense of it this this vast of night, uh and uh she this is the only the for her and her trauma the only logical conclusion that she could come to is that they're there out of uh malice so that's interesting good point yeah i I think yeah to that point too (laughs) i would just add that um yeah i mean that's a good interpretation of her character and i think you you definitely could have a reading of the film as the aliens being malevolent, but you also could that they're completely neutral and they're just there and they're conducting experiments. And it's like, uh, you know, if you want to look at it in that way, it's almost like a close yeah. encounters um, where the, they're, they're there to, you know, um, I don't know. I, I say experiment. We're not saying they're taking them back on the ship and they're dissecting them and cutting them up or whatever, but maybe it's a social experiment or whatever. We don't know. We can't know. We can't understand. And I think that's, you know, what they get at a lot with, like, the frequency and the sound. Um, So, yeah, uh, definitely interesting. It kind of made me look at her character in a new light, too. But I think um, there is a lot of truth to the fact that she had a lot of trauma spring, spring from these events, and I think a lot of that is her projecting those feelings onto the aliens. I just added close yeah. encounters to our schedule. <laughs> I, w- I was about to say like, Hell yeah. Man, we probably should cover it's, that. I, I have, I've, I've watched it once in my life. It simultaneously terrified and fascinated me. And I was, I was young. I was probably in high school. And as an adult, I'm sure I would love it more than I ever could dream of as a kid. So, and now uh, we got yeah, it Space really is Cowboys. a classic. I think so. I think we're keeping that to Patreon. <laughs> Wait, can we do a double header? We do Space Cowboys and then we do Cowboys and Aliens. <laughs> Hell yeah! Uh, Still haven't seen that. No, no, we can't. <laughs> so much for for thoughtful sci-fi. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, yet again, Bill ruined it. <laughs> um, all right, boys. Well, if no one has anything else they want to say, I think that's a good time to briefly jump into good sci-fi bad sci-fi um starting with the young mark botker cool uh good sci-fi love the aesthetic of everything 
Um, yeah, I, I feel like we covered everything really in great detail. There wasn't a ton to like dissect, so we mostly talked about the you know artistic artistic direction of the film, and we pretty much covered all that. That was like really man. I just I I love the style of everything. I think they did a great job with the budget, like we said earlier. Good sci-fi. Enjoyed it. All right. Thank you, Mark. Jason. Yeah, I thought it was good sci-fi also. Um, I, I would echo a lot of kind of what we talked about tonight and what even Mark just said a minute ago. Um, you know, it, it the, the visuals are such a indelible part of this movie. You can't really separate the, the stylistic, um, just the design that they went for. I feel like it, it's almost another character in the film. Uh, and kind of really gets to like the heart of what the film is about. So you can't really separate that at all. But I thought as a, you know, a, a nostalgia trip, um, a period piece, uh, film that really was trying to, to grapple with ideas and say some things, but not really bludgeon you over the head with it or make it a film about those things necessarily. I thought it was great, you know, and style points, this gets all of them. Um, did some really innovative and kind of, creative stuff uh i think out of limitation but also had some really cool technical stuff going on too not that i'm mr film i know that's more your guys forte but i definitely appreciated some of those shots and i think you know the fact that we also touched on how topical it is and that we can bring it into kind of what we're dealing with in our modern era here is what makes good sci-fi right or at least one of the things so good sci-fi all right thank you jason ben young fantastic sci-fi uh for me this movie uh set out with the same goals that jj abrams super 8 did and toppled that film in just about every way uh it, it proved that you don't need to be big and uh oh what's the word i'm looking for uh extravagant that's not really the word but it works but you don't need to be big and extravagant to have an homage to sci-fi sometimes you can be quiet and sometimes you can just fade to black and and let a man talk and it's better sci-fi than some of these quote-unquote greats are making right now i hope i can't wait to see what else andrew patterson has for us and uh yeah i recommend it to anyone who likes sci-fi. were you thinking of ostentatious yeah actually that was the exact word i was thinking of okay thank you um and bill jarvis hello okay so i thought it was um i thought it was fantastic i thought it was um like you said as a frame story going from the very beginning um to you know see it as a twilight or twilight zone-esque um episode sorry sorry about that episode that um that just enjoying it in that way and enjoying this as a uh, kind of classic film that way, I, I think it was incredibly enjoyable, and I thought it was good sci-fi. Yeah, <clears throat> I thought this was a very good sci-fi. I think what I appreciated about it the most was it was so centered around two characters. There was no distractions, and they uh, you just kind of rode with them on this sense of wonder, especially at the end. I, I don't know, I just... It felt very positive to me, at least. Yeah. Um, uh, I'm really looking forward to see what this director does in the future. Uh, he's 
he's definitely on the radar now for a lot of people, a lot of people with money. So um, as long as he stays in the realm of sci-fi, I think that'll be great. Who knows? Um, I'd love to cover one of his films down the road if we can. We'll see. Um, there you have it, folks. That is our take on The Vast of Night. Uh, next week, I do believe we are covering... Uh, Altered Carbon Season Altered Carbon. 2. Thank you. And, so. and Season 1, really. <laughs> yeah. Because we never covered we the first one. Uh, so those of you listening, you have exactly one week to... <laughs> uh, watch two seasons of Altered Carbon. Some of you, it flows really well. Some so. of those of you recording, you have exactly one week to watch two <laughs> seasons of Altered Carbon. Yep. <laughs> I have a half a season to watch. It's fine. Guys, I, it's, I don't have a job. It's, it's really not. It's it's not it's not too hard to watch. Oh no, it actually, mm-hmm. kind of sucks you in. I don't have a I don't have a job, and I am playing very little video games until Last of Us Two comes out. So I am fewer. I'm yeah. good. Very little. Very few. Okay. Very fewest. <laughs> okay. Very few. All right. Okay. Very fuck you. Yep. Oh, last All word. Right. There we go. Uh, la- last word. Last word. Last word. Sorry. Word. Last word. Okay. All right. So, um, thanks, folks, for listening. Uh, ben. Yeah. Uh, real quick. Uh, what can people do on Sunday evenings? On Sunday, you could watch Once Upon a Tavern, a live play Dungeons & Dragons stream where each week we play Dungeons & Dragons live. <laughs> um, you uh, could catch us at twitch.tv slash onceuponatavern underscores between the words. And Facebook, right, Bill? We'll Facebook be good for live, that. Live, yeah. We'll be good we'll be for good. double. Okay. So, yeah. So, uh, we're also on Facebook Live at facebook.com slash onceuponatavern. No underscores between the words. <laughs> Because we hate consistency. <laughs> oh man, I hate Fuck it. it. <laughs> Fuck it, we'll do it live. Um, all right, thank you, Bill. Uh, say somebody wants more sci-fi cross sections, and they would also like to uh, give a little back, help us support us a little bit, deliver more content, improve our content, all that jazz. What can they do? Absolutely. Um, so with uh, if you go to patreon.com forward slash sci-fi cross sections, you can uh, you have an opportunity uh, to support the podcast. So you will um, have the chance to either uh, give us the, the, the basic donation. Uh, it's basically you get a membership that you can listen to bonus content, things like that, and support us so that we can continue doing this long term and uh, continue providing you the wonderful content that we do. This week, uh, we're doing um, uh, Mining the Solar System. I did uh, a talk with Colin, and it was a really good conversation. So, yep. Yeah, well, that was fun. Glad I got to be a part of that. Uh, Jason, do you have anything to plug? Well, my progressive metal band, Minds Horizon, was supposed to have released a new song last Friday, but Spotify... Thought we were stealing our own music. <laughs> sons of, you so sons of bitches. Hopefully, yeah, right. Hopefully, it will be up this Friday. We had to change some stuff around, but yeah, should be cool. Uh, check it out: Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube, wherever you listen to music. Should be good. All right, thank you. Hey, Mark, do you have anything to plug? Boy, howdy! I wish I did. <laughs> 
No, the segment is right. too long anyway. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I yeah, wish I'll work on streamlining it. Sorry. It's okay. No, it's, it's right. a joke. We all got a lot of stuff. There we go. Cut this one. All right. All right. <laughs> nope. yeah. Yeah. All right. All right. All right, folks. All right, thank folks, you. Thank Until you. next time. Until next time.